This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. And I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org slash generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Buongiorno, and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and I used that special introduction just for you today because our guest today is Francesco Ambrogotti. He is the author of Hooked on a Feeling and Emotion Raising. He's also the senior coordinator at UNICEF, leading supporter engagement globally. Someone I've been getting to know as we've done some research projects and some training projects with UNICEF. He's incredibly smart. He's done a ton of research, largely around what are the emotions that we need to drive at and how do we drive those emotions within donors to inspire giving and generosity. So that's what we talk about today. We kind of go through his books. We start with emotion raising. We worked on, we looked at Hooked on a Feeling, and then we touch on some of this really unique pioneering work that he and his team are doing in India in terms of applying um, digital infrastructure and supporter journeys and those types of things. It's really interesting. And then we kind of have some rapid fire questions and then go on our way. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Francesco. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Frankie. Uh, I've been told that's what your friends call you. So I, I hope we're kind of like developing into friends so I can call you Frankie. But Frankie, Francesco, thank you so much for coming on the show. Brady, it's such a pleasure to be with you in a, in a more relaxing environment than <laughs> we work together. But yeah, Frankie's fine. I'm, I'm a, somebody attached to me and I'm, I'm OK with the part that people... I hope people don't re, don't link to the one of these dodgy character in in Francis for Coppola movies. You know, there's always a Frankie. You <laughs> hey, know, Frankie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's not. That's not. But you, you, know, you can call me Frankie. <laughs> Great. Well, um, we want to talk about just fundraising in general, and we'll kind of walk through like your books, basically book number one and book number two, and then uh, some of the more recent work you've been doing with UNICEF in India, which is really really interesting for a variety of reasons. But before we get into that, um, I'd just like to, to ask you two questions. Uh, one, how on earth did you get into fundraising and nonprofit work? And then second, you've spent a lot of time in a lot of different countries. I'm curious to know, kind of like, what's your favorite place? So how'd you get into this? And in all your travels, what's your favorite place? Oh, okay. So how we got into this is it's, it's a podcast in itself. So one day maybe we should do. <laughs> That's a good idea, Brady. <laughs> you know, got to get serious how people get into fundraising, right. how fascinating it will be. I mean, it yeah, is interesting. I have no idea. 
So it's uh, like anything else, by chance, um, I was finishing my master in New York. I was a, a banjo player. And so one of my mates is, is Pete Seeger, um, the folk singer that, you know, collected most of the American folk song is also, you know, he's been at the Obama celebration before he died around hundred. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, back in the eighties, I just story in itself, you know, I would get to him. So went to him in Coney Highland. We, we played banjo together. We were playing about uh, Jesse James, favorite song. And, and I just say, uh, I said, Pete, but, where is Jesse James today? Well, it's a Robin Hood today. I'll, and he just said, well, if you want to find Jesse James, go to Lower East Side in New York. Uh, so I went to Conahan to, to Lower East Side, and there was, there was this community that were uh, against gentrification. So they managed to keep, the, the project original was to just develop Lower East Side like the rest of Manhattan, so skyscraper things. Hmm. They managed to keep their own land. They buy their own land and their own building through a massive fundraising campaign. And these were all poor migrants, second generation Italian, Germans. And so I say in the center of capitalism in, in Manhattan, hmm. the, there are communities that are able to raise their own resources and maintain their own land. Is this amazing? This is what I want to do. No way. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's the starting of, I think, Pitsier, Benjo, and Lower East Side. Yeah. <laughs> well, no wonder you've you've written a few books. That's that's quite the story just to start <laughs> with. That's amazing. Well, and then what about what about favorite place that you've uh, that you've been? Uh, yeah, Brady. You know, I, I've been travel. I've been uh, moving quite a lot. I've not just travel for work. I mean, I've just been through. Apart from. Um, New Zealand, I've been, I lived for quite a period of time in all of the continent. So Asia, Australia, Europe, and Latin America. And, you know, each place are, you know, I would just say sounds very corny, but the the people makes it. So Mm. every place has some special person that really makes what it is. I have a special soft spot for Panama. Hmm. Because it's one of these places that it sounds very like, you know, exactly. People have just lots of money hiding there, which is, and it started as a this fabulous little place with amazing nature, both mm. on the beach side, two beaches, but internally very, one of the most biodiverse places. Amazing people, mm. super friendly. And I, I still have a, I go often, especially now, I have a lot of friends. It's, it's, it's one of the under the radar place where um, people should go. It's an amazing place, lots of spots, so naturally, beautifully, great mm. people, very safe. There you Love go. It. That's that's a great one. I've only been through the the airport, which was a good airport, mm-hmm. and they were selling those little hats everywhere. So that's yep. basically all I know about Panama. So that's great. All right. Yep. So we've we've covered Panama and Pete Seeger and banjos and stuff like that. So uh, you know, all the bases are covered. Let's talk about fundraising. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so I want to talk about your first book, Emotion Raising. Um, can you just tell us a little bit? I mean, obviously the title is a little bit indicative of what's in the book, but uh, what are some of the key concepts uh, in the book that you cover uh, around the emotion raising? Like, what is emotion raising and, and why did you write it? Well, look, Brady, um, at that time, and I think still is, is it was one of the um, realization that um, um, neuroscience, which is a big field of many disciplines working to get to understand better the brain, and they admit themselves that they know very little, but the more they know, uh, they come to the same conclusion that um, our decisions are taken by a combination of emotional part of the brain, then also interact with the rational brain, but substantially 
we are led to, to take, led to uh, take decision and take action by these emotional parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we are irrational. That, that, that's a wrong interpretation. It means that that's what we are as human beings. Of course, um, our rational part, our culture, or our influence can mute or interpret the emotions. But substantially, when we buy a pair of shoes, when we make a donation, it's the emotional part that's it's push us. Mm. So the, the interesting part of this is that we've been, and I'm sure you've been through your BA, MBA, or whatever you've done, and the, the, the economics theory is rational optimization, right? You have mm-hmm. choice and you're, and actually it sounds great in theory, you get great modeling, but it's not true. <laughs> it's simply not true. You don't just say, okay, should I buy this or that? Should I go <laughs> to the Liverpool match or the Manchester United match? You don't do this choice. You just do because of the emotional part of the brain is, mm-hmm. is that there. So the other part of the book is that, okay, this is the assumption, but in the end, there are no millions of emotions. The one that really makes people do things like donate are just six. Hmm. There are six. There are no, the core emotion, those are really moving you. There are six. So uh, uh, as in the fundraising, you can easily, and they are measurable. Today, you can measure that. You can see when you're hungry or when you are happy or when you're surprised or when you're disgusted. So they're all measurable. And they're all mostly activated by sensory, by hmm. sensory element. Um, so all things that we know intuitively in fundraising, but we don't apply uh, systematically. Um, and so that's the book that tried to just say, well, this there is a science here. There is an easy application that is more disciplined on what you guess, uh, if you want. Mm. And then there are results, because if you can measure all that, that leads you to better response and then better retention, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that that's the book, and and has a lot of um, uh, proof of concept that is also from my uh, experience in the organization, including UNICEF. I did some very very cool tests in brain labs that, that tested various creative ads to say what people related more emotionally, mm-hmm. and then when you do it, you see the results in terms of response. So yeah, the books was a sort of. Um, try to get the fundraising world more in tune with this, this thinking. And then Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize and, and all the rest. But um, in a way, it's a very simple concept. It's something that we know intuitively, but we don't have the discipline to, to apply. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's, that's uh, bang on because, you know, I studied nonprofit management and fundraising in grad school and there's some theories and frameworks and you kind of have this understanding of, you know, emotion drives fundraising and some of that. But, you know, the articulation of there are six key emotions, like I didn't necessarily learn that. And even more so, how do you actually influence or create copy or messaging or experiences that can evoke that emotion? Because it's one thing for me to say, yeah, if someone has a sense of empathy, then they have a greater chance of giving. And if someone's happy, they can give, or if they feel, you know, anger, they can give, but not all of those emotions work at all the same times. And how do you productively make someone angry in a fundraising. So two things. One, what are some of the emotions that you cover in the book? You don't have to cover all six. I know that's putting you on the spot, but you did write the book, so maybe you can. But what are a couple of them? And then maybe like on a practical level, like what are some of the things that have been proven for uh, fundraising and organizations to evoke that emotion in donors to lead to more funds? 
Um, so emotions, I cover all six, of course, and I think all six. The the the, the cool thing is that no one, no emotion works in isolation. Mm. Always a combination of more than one emotions, and we always mistakenly, if you don't take the science, you think the emotion makes making people cry. That's <laughs> not true. If you make people cry, you make people cry. They don't they don't go and donate. So the point is that why it makes that put people through the emotion, but then, oh, right, then I want to just, oh, I, oh, I want to just liberate myself, you know, just so, because that's how it works. If you see the brain during this thing, it's it just, it's just going to so much that just say, give me something to get out of here. <laughs> but that's the power, Brady. That's the power. We are so, when we say empathy, there are these mirror neurons that are literally mm-hmm. replicate what you see in some other. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see a football match, sorry, because I'm, I'm mesmerized by the Liverpool football club. <laughs> but when you see a football match and you see a very bad foul on the on on legs of somebody, you just, ow, it's like you're feeling yourself. So your brain mm-hmm. reproduces and just is totally fictional. So that's the power. So I covered them more and I just say, well, the working combination, there should be two or more. Um, you don't have to use it to throw. So if you use it to strong emotion, people just get too scared or to or, or cry. That's not what you want. You want the people just get in and then move it. Mm. And so it is a combination to get the right mix to, it's like an arc. In fact, it's like a story It's an arc that you, you lead people through. Mm. And then in the end, the people are ready to click. And so we did this test in a, in a lab for a legacy campaign. And we tested various, various um, ads Um and it was amazing because you can see that um, there were the pits uh, when people really get um, get the arousal, so that it can be measured. And then when the final call to action, so call this number to make less, there is a peak. So you say, oh, well, that, that works. Other ads, when there was that moment, there was the, the, the peak was down. People were hmm. disconnected. So hmm. that helps you to just say, well, okay, so I can change that. I can influence that. So that that's what it was. So in general, um, Brady, we uh, that's a fact. The negative emotion, say negative emotion. So the, the fear and the anger um, works much strongly because that's what we evolutionary are built. Hmm. We are the emotions are this fundamental character to alert us to flight or fight, mm-hmm. and therefore fear and anger are the ones that are, we can. Easily, when you when you're really angry or you're really scared, this it's you wanna you wanna you want you have to do something. Mm-hmm. So they are they works better. So we, it's better we use that in the mm-hmm. right way. You need mm-hmm. to get people discomfortable. That's what the emotion does. Mm-hmm. But then you have to offer this this hope. So you feel see how you feel it. You have a chance to feel better mm-hmm. because if you help these. Actually, this is the other element. It works on single people in single animal. The story you have to focus is never on a big problem. Mm-hmm. It's called numbing. The more you, you, it's incredible. The more you go from one person to two person, three, four, five, five thousand, the less emotional engagement you have. Right. And so, if you do this, if you get people scared, if you get people upset, if you get people surprised. Mm. And then it's an offer, a, a way out, which is donating. Then you, you're done. 
And if you do this with the right sensory thing, that is the right images, the right sound, sound is fundamental. Mm. And this is how charities don't pay uh, attention to the, the right music, the right tone of voice. Mm. Um, we discovered, for instance, that the unison voice was a female voice. So because think about it, it's very much maternal. It's about kids, right? And so we we tested two ads, and one was with the male, the typical male DRTV voice, and the other was with the, and the other was working so much better. Hmm. So if you do all the elements together, um, and you see that that the the results are are, are substantially different. So hmm. um, you you cover you use all the emotions. Negative emotion works better, but not in isolation. Mm. Um, sensory elements are, are fundamental. So even if you get patching element, mm. um, that are, are so working much better. Um, and so you, it's a mix of all these things, but they're all, um, applicable. They're all translated into tactics. They're all measurable. And that's, that's the beauty of the thing. And, you know, I want to finish with something that, um, old Zach, I don't know if you know him, it's, it's a neuroscientist that yeah. discovered oxytocin. I uh, work with him, and now now Paul has developed this really cool thing. So talking about tech, um, it's a sort of a cheap Apple Watch um, that measure the emotional engagement as you go. Hmm. So it is very cheap. So you can test as much as um, websites and as much as Facebook pages, as much as DRTV, with and giving this Apple Watch to either to your target audience, even to and then you record re- real time the reaction. Hmm. And it's to the level of 99% precision predicts uh, what works and what not works in terms of response. Wow. So it's phenomenal. So even technologically, as more evolved, it's not expensive. You can do it. And there is so much more we can do it if you take this seriously. Wow. That, that's all. I was actually going to reference Dr. Paul Zek because when you're talking about the balance of emotions, Something that I talk about all the time is distress and empathy, cortisol and oxytocin. And that's a, a simpler thing of the, the kind of six emotions. But if you have one and not the other or too much of one or too much of the other, right, too much distress, too much cortisol, everyone's just like angry with nothing to do or they're just like scared or whatever it is. And if it's just all hope and empathy and feeling, there's nothing for them to do. It's kind of, oh, cool, and go on their way, right? So the balance of emotions, I think, is something that I see a lot of nonprofits um, misunderstand. They go hard one way or hard the other way and don't uh, use them I in combination. You. Exactly. And I have this discussion, I don't know how many times in my life with the accounts, <laughs> people, brand people now that say, this is too strong. Why don't we use some positive images? And they don't understand that that's not a positive negative. What moves people to take a decision like donate? Mm-hmm. Sometime, Brady, we need to just, for instance, change mentality. And so you have to use different types. Sometimes you want to communicate, you know, branding, reporting, but to move people to the net, you need to use this, this, and this only works with this emotion. So think about it. The most successful GoFundMe campaign ever has been the George Floyd, uh, Minnesota um, Freedom Fund, mm-hmm. a bail fund for people that were protesting in, for during the Black Lives Matter. They mm-hmm. raised $40 million in two, uh, in two days. Um, and they didn't know what to do with it because obviously <laughs> they, it's it's a, it's a it's a legal fund they used to spend. So how you spend forty million? So people were really upset. So oh, well, why don't you? Said, oh, wait a minute, guys. How can we spend forty million dollars <laughs> in one day? So yeah. that's the but that's think about it. The power if you get the right combination, mm. people just go 
wow, in full force. And I have these two examples in the new book that are the the graphs of the income of the Coney 2012. I don't know if you remember the mm-hmm. campaign. And Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm-hmm. And you get this massive peak and then boom. Mm-hmm. And both organizations are on the verge of collapse. They are about mm-hmm. to close. Mm-hmm. In massive debt. They are unable to replicate or to leverage the power of emotions. So emotions are huge. You can do Trump with emotion. Mm-hmm. And you can do to stop people at the border, raise money for a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angry and scared. And then this, and a small organization raised the same amount of money, $26 million, to help the, the children that were separated at the board. Same, just imagine the power of, of it depends how you use the bushes, but still, without emotions, people don't move, don't take decisions. This episode and podcast are proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, you've heard Brady talk about it with our guests before, but I wanted to remind you that giving to a cause is deeply personal, and your fundraising should be too. Unfortunately, today's nonprofits are handcuffed to outdated fundraising models that reserve personal connections for a select few major donors. Instead of creating connection, Traditional impersonal tactics alienate your donors and create distance between the donor and their impact. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships at scale. Responsive fundraising with Virtuous combines modern technology, data intelligence, and donor-centric giving experiences to foster personalized conversations with every donor. Virtuous is more than just a CRM. They unify fundraising, marketing, and donor development activities, ridding teams of redundant back office tasks, and revealing the insights needed to deliver dynamic campaigns. And all of this happens in one place. You can turn data into deeper donor relationships and grow your fundraising with Virtuous. And to learn more about responsive fundraising with them, you can visit virtuous.org slash generosity. That's V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. So you mentioned the, the, the second book and the most recent book, uh, Hooked on a Feeling. So um, why write this book or how does this book work in, work in conjunction with the other one? Is it just kind of expanding on similar concepts and using newer things like, you know, Coney and digital and things like that? Or is it kind of, you know, you felt like you, you painted a partial picture in the first book and needed to complete it or two questions. One is like, well, why write the second book? Uh, <laughs> and then kind of what are some of the key points in this uh, new book? Yeah. And so it also people say, how do you find the time, you know, and, the first book I, I wrote because I uh, broke uh, an ankle while I was playing football. So I was, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's true because, you know, this book I wrote because of COVID, you know, we were in lockdown. Hmm. So in lockdown, you do a lot of Netflix, you do a PlayStation, you do, enough, or you write a book. So um, full disclosure here. But joking <laughs> aside, um, it's a sort of a sequel. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's sort of a sequel to emotion raising. Um, and I felt the need to, to write because um, there are a lot of evolution, by the way, in the field of neurosciences. So mm-hmm. um, there is the um, the book that is also from from um, a, a scholar, a, a professor that's called Barrett Feldman. It's called How the Emotions Are Made. That explain also that there's no so simple. There are no so simple impulse, 
but the emotions are made. So how you to feel uh, fear, you have to have the concept of fear. Mm. So that's changed a bit the picture. So you understand that it's not only pure the way we are hardwired, but the way we also construct the emotions. Mm. Okay. But more important for me is that emotions are so powerful. We just discussed, no? we know people just, yes, <laughs> right? That's just, 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 uh, just, you know, it just, they call it like um, uh, uh, people that like this, this during the, the Black Lives Matters and other things, just people just want it. The way to express their stress, that distress is donating mm. in large mass, and especially digitally today, you give it a chance, done. But they are very volatile. They're very, they get people forget. Um, if you be in any uh, telephone call with donors that uh, cancel the donation mm-hmm. or unsubscribe, one of the main reasons, apart from say, I cannot afford anymore or uh, I haven't heard from you, it's people say, did I donate to UNICEF? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I have no recollection. <laughs> so it's a third reason in all the survey that people, people don't remember. Wow. People don't remember. So, but it's, but it's true because you just imagine as a canvas, you know, just stopping somebody at the mall, great conversation, few minutes, sign up, great, I feel better. You don't remember that you just sign up for Oxfam or for Greenpeace. Mm-hmm. So that's the, and so you have to give it a second dose of methadone. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do is the second ask, the upgrade, the renewal. It's the same because people don't remember. Mm-hmm. Now, as a Liverpool fan, sorry to go back to that. <laughs> They don't have to tell you buy the merchandise, buy the buy the the ticket, uh, subscribe that. No, you do. You go in pilot. That's what you are. Mm-hmm. Ready? You are a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be solicited, right? Mm-hmm. Or when the solicitation comes, comes pretty normal, right? Yeah. It's it's. And if you see, there is this very in the book. There is a fascinating see this kind of a brain of loyal people to a brand. They have this part of the brain that sort of blank out the rest of the rational thinking. Hmm. So they go in, in automatic. You go to the supermarket and you go to your favorite brand. You don't think in twice and just, that's it. That's where yeah. I am. That's where I am. So how come that we are fan of Liverpool and um, pop band and Nike and just name it, but no of, of the non-profit? Hmm. Or very few. So how mm-hmm. come the people are not fan of our causes and branding? Because we, because people come with this emotional, um, and then they just forget, and then we just become very rational. Mm. Then become very process oriented, right? Then become like, okay, this is the newsletter. This is what we do. Why don't you upgrade? And, and so, the reality is that, therefore, the book is that look, emotions are fundamental, but if you wanna make this something that is, is a long-term um, things that are related to what, what people are, um, you have to work on the memory, mm-hmm. the way we remember things. Mm-hmm. And that's the other part that now the neuroscience Kahneman to uh, works about it. So we decided what we remember and we remember very little. <laughs> <laughs> if we can go to the same restaurants two times a day for 20 years, we just remember the first time we were there, <laughs> the best time, the best meal we had there, or the best time we had with our partner, with our friends, or the worst time, the worst mm-hmm. the, the full time, and the, the time where we decided not to go there anymore because this food is not good, it was too expensive. Three things out of 20 years, two times a day. So it's very selective and it's mm-hmm. very linked to the way we remember. It's very linked to um, the sensory element, one more time, 
and how much this is related to your um, moment in your life. So how much you, you can anchor this moment to your newborn, to your marriage, to go mm. to college. So how this moment that we celebrate, we treasure, have something to do with our cause because they have something to do then it's become part of your identity. So I'm sure you have tons of memories of your personal life that are linked to Liverpool. I have for my team, right? Who's the your team? That, which is unfortunately, yeah, it's Roma, so it's, it's really... <laughs> but again, nobody convinced me that I have to be or to buy or... So I, yeah. I am, it's part of my identity. So yeah. that's what the book is all about. Yeah, interesting, because I think, um, man, there's so many things in there, uh, besides the fact that you're a Roma fan and Jose Mourinho, but... Um, <laughs> You know, and when, when we think about the donor retention problem, and this is kind of just actually clicking into a degree, right? That's it's it's not a pandemic because we're in a real pandemic, but it's a huge issue, right, across all yeah. kind of nonprofit spaces. And I think we've tried to to your to your point, kind of like operationalize and kind of like process and strategize our way out to a degree. And there is something to be said for that. There is things that we can do through communications and tactics and things that can definitely improve retention. But something that I believe and say all the time is that a nonprofit brand is both the most important thing that a nonprofit organization possesses and also the most difficult thing to actually like <laughs> create, understand, you know, measure. And if you think brand is just like design aesthetic, then it's, it's actually not, but it's that connection between people, right? A brand is just a series of positive experiences with one another. And that's why, um, like for the first nonprofit I was at, uh, and this is totally unintentional, but we were able to build like a real strong connection with folks because we had so many um, engagement opportunities that were in person to fill a void, volunteer opportunities, event opportunities, personal connection opportunities. And so people would come to our events and donate to us because they're like, oh, so-and-so is at this event and now we're best friends. And the common cord was our organization is the one that brought those two people together. And so now they're forever linked and our organization is just like a, a good bystander in the middle. And to bring it back to like Liverpool, that's part of the thing, right? Is me and my friends, we have this connection and Liverpool is a common cord or we watch these games at the same time with people around the world and it's just common cord. And, and we establish that connection or have those memories with an organization. And if it's just, you know, you give us money and we send you email, like this transactional relationship, then that is not a memory. That is not an experience. And so that's what I think is really interesting. It's been a huge thing of learning for me over the past few years is not just the emotion side and the brand building side, but even this uh, idea of like communal orientation and some of the work we're doing with like Jen Shang and Adrian Sargent and their team of just saying, what if you send an email that has absolutely no ask in it at all? We ask nothing of the person, not even a reply back, not a call to action, absolutely nothing. And nonprofits are often like, what? Like, how on earth could we do that? But when you do that, what you're saying is we value this relationship with you, even if it means you don't do anything back to us. And how infrequently do we do that, you know? And so brands, I think, have the opportunity to do that. Often. Here's a video for you to watch from Liverpool. Hey, here's a cool mural Starbucks painted. Like they kind of understand these non-transactional touch points to build connection and relationship, to build brand, right? Yeah, we, you know, when in Italy, we, I created this, this entire division that was called Donor Law. There was not the retention, there was a retention department, but Donor Law was sort of in, on top of that. Mm. What, what they delete, not only solve a problem for the donors, but also proactively show the law. And so we did this test, two segments, absolutely the same, the best segment in the file. So same lifetime value, same demographic, just, just say normal communication one, the other one, normal communication plus one call of happy birthday. 
Hmm. I'd be very cool. No, no ask. Just a simple say, Brady, it's a special day. You're important for us. Have a wonderful day. Um, difference, the, uh, this segment, they have the birthday call to get 40% higher lifetime value, wow. 60% increased retention. Just this call. Just think about it. No, no ask. And, and, and if you think about it simplistic, well, that's how human beings are, the value. And for many people, I tell mm. you this, this is anecdotal, but it's true. For many people, we have a lot in units that there are uh, boomers, so there are sorts of, it was the only birthday call they receive all day. Also, they receive maybe email, maybe they receive a message, but a call, right? a, a telephone call, somebody to call you to say happy birthday. So think about it, but wow. think the, the, the monetization of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just a nice to do, a nice to have. It's an integral part of how you drive more income. Mm-hmm. And as I try to just explain that, so going back to the memory, how much really we invest in the first 10 seconds, first 10 minutes, 10 hours of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And we measure that. You know, I we, this is not the test we do. Face-to-face, a team, normal team, they go back home, they receive an email, welcome, blah, blah, blah. Another team, the same canvasser uh, sent uh, uh, an, a WhatsApp message immediately. Say, Brad, it was great to see you at the mall. You're so important for us. So glad you're on board. No question asked. That WhatsApp, but from that person, mm. not from the organization, right. increased 25% retention wow. over, over the because people remember that human being. They don't remember Oxfam. They don't remember UNICEF. <laughs> right. But that's how simple it is. And imagine with the technology we have today, how much this can be facilitated and yeah. humanized and make it more personal. Sometimes, ready, I get really upset when people talk about optimization because they think we can automate. Um, and it's true. We can do much better with the technology. Right. Because, but that's, the key here is the humanity. Mm. Humanity pays. Humanity is what makes us want it to be. Humanity is the way a connection. Humanity is what what makes our memories, right? And yeah. so here you go. The you the birthday call is is the is the is the happy Christmas or Diwali call mm. it, uh, is the celebrate celebratory of your life and what's going on in your life, your kids, your college, your partners, your all these things. And this is real. This is real humanity. Yeah. Um, I now understand still why we accept that, Brady, we can um, uh, get exact canvas, right? We can pay people in the street to recruit one or two donors per day or three, let's say. But we cannot accept to pay the same person to talk, it's real talk, no script, no time, for the same two or three people um, because it's a cost. Hmm. That's for me, that's to see the mentality. So mm. it's, it's very much, I'm happy to do a cool campaign to drive millions of people to click and through, but I, I don't, then it's becoming a process. Uh, and then it's, it's, uh, and that's where, 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 you know, where the Mr. Trick saw in, in the book, the other thing is I look a lot to the commercial world. You know, the first thing, whatever you do, it's, it's, uh, it's an email, it's an SMS to say, you have five, how was it from one to 10? Mm. They obsess. Every every brand is obsessed about. It. Mm-hmm. They want it. Oh, what's the experience, right? How mm-hmm. many charities you donate like me do the same? How many charity bother before they ask you for a second donation or grade to ask you how was the thing? Yeah. How many to do? Like none. Exactly. So that's the difference because the experience tells you everything. 
Okay, yeah. so the teams in the street was very rude. The, the website doesn't work. It's very cumbersome. The message is too strong. We don't bother to ask. We just go by automatic. So, okay, go for the, you know, upgrade us. Go mm. for the re- re- retention ask, et cetera. So. Yeah. No, that's, again, there's so many good things. In there. And some of it's convicting too, you know, even just my own work when I was at a nonprofit and consulting. And even now, um, part of the, the challenge is obviously like, you know, um, where your treasure is there, you know, there your time will be also if organizations are so fixated on growth, new donors, you know, then that's where the conference talks will be. That's where the consultants will speak. That's the work that they'll do. And so there is needing to be this kind of really like cultural shift in our space of saying donor retention or lifetime value. Like, I don't know how many more times we can talk about these things <laughs> before it actually takes root of saying it's the only thing that matters. It is the only thing that matters. It's, it's, and so this is a question for you and for the audience here, Brady. How come we collectively as a sector and as a professionals, very bright people, right? I really mean that. We haven't able to manage calling to the organization, which is an amazing organization, Invisible Children, by the way. and ALS, how we collectively, we've been, have, we haven't been able to just say this amount outpouring on generosity, which is millions of people, new people, young people too, that for the first time really engage in very, very difficult causes, right? Mm. You know, abducting children in Uganda mm. and in a very obscure yeah. uh, illness that affect very relatively little people compared mm-hmm. to Canada. So we get these people in mass really excited. And we, none of us, not just the organization, none of us has been able to just say, wait a minute, how are we going to just really nurture and leverage and cultivate it? And even understanding why we don't bother to just go back, but not now at the time <laughs> we just say, no, just say, can I know more? Why you, why, why you donate it? Why you get yeah. engaged into Pony or into Ice Bucket Challenge? What do you really drive you? Maybe there's, you, you can find that there's a lot of bypassers of people that just, okay. But maybe people that maybe just really care for personal reason, family reason, a value reason, you can maybe really build. So we lost millions, millions of donors, young donors, especially in the case of Coney, the first time, it was the first time they were really engaging. Right. In ILS too, and in ALS too, because not just the organization, the sector could not be bothered. The, our obsession is how can I replicate Ice Bucket Challenge? You know, remember the conversation? Mm-hmm. You get this yeah. question? I'm sure All you get time. it. <laughs> exactly. Time. How can I reflect Connie 2012? Instead of saying, how we can just save, how can we just engage more of those donors? How we can understand better? How we can just deliver a different experience to what we do? How we can help, you know, invisible children or ALS to do better? Because the sector, it's not a competition here. It's the sector that mm. really, because those donors will never go back and donate to another charity. Yeah. They had such a bad experience that, you know what, next time, forget about it. Yeah. And you know what, I think where this shows up most, uh, like crucially, and as you know, someone who does research now and tries to impact like a wider sphere, not just individual clients. One of the things that we talk about a lot is the number of people participating in charity is really should be our true measure and how long they actually do that across the sector. Like if we as an industry should be measuring those things. So giving USA is great. They talk about how much more money is given buried in like the less sexy numbers is like number of discretionary amount of discretionary income that goes towards charities. And it's flat for 40 years. And then you dig deeper and look at households, um, Institute of Philanthropy and IUP, right. It's going down year after year after year. And it's because of this very thing is while we maybe sell someone on the experience and we're hardwired for it and we can do the emotion, and those types of things, if we cannot figure out how to create these connections and sustain it, 
we are all in a whole hoop of trouble. So I think there's a whole lot of other reasons. We'll have to have you on another podcast where we can talk sure. about that. I think a lot of it has to do with the leadership on the way down and how we view fundraising and makes its way into how we manage fundraising. But there's many other things in that. Um, we'll be sure to send out the, the books, both of the links to the books um, for sure. But before I let you go, I want to ask you... Um, five questions four of them are rapid fire and the other one i want you to try and be as succinct as you can because i know it's a really big cool project but you and unicef are doing some really cool things in india can you just tell us like what this project is and maybe where people can go to find out more about the work that you're doing because it's really interesting uh, india has been the first country of UNICEF that have been to the digital transformation so we digitalized the entire operation during COVID. So it's a story in itself. So, which has been <laughs> difficult, but also a great story because mm. we have an amazing curve that show the income go down during the COVID because we stop all the operation and then goes up and India grow 40% trying to the digital transformation during COVID, which is phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. We digitalize the face-to-face. -face, so we do face-to-face -face right now during the crisis, which is terrible. With distant, contactless people in the street, totally safe, and, and the message straight into the database, the middle response. So great story. Uh, two seconds. It's heartbreaking. Every time I call, I call in every day, mm -hmm. there is somebody that is looking for a place in a hospital, colleagues, mm -hmm. um, or for somebody else, somebody lost somebody. It's, it's a terrible situation. So it's a great story itself to tell, but it's also a, a great time of need. I cannot just uh, emphasize more than that. So there are... Uh, we can put link people wanted to support the work we do, which is literally very much bringing more oxygen, more protective equipment for nurses and doctors. Um, it, they can they can support India project, uh, and so we maybe can give the chance. Yeah, and, sure. uh, and yeah, and so it's amazing that the first country that we digitalize the digital transformation in India with a lot of challenges, but um, it's fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, and we'll send out a link. I know you did a, a pretty brief presentation. I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but a brief presentation at the recent Salesforce uh, conference. Yep. So we can send out that link too. But just again, people often, especially in North America, oh, I don't have resources and time and this is difficulty. And I was like, imagine trying to digitize a full operation in India, you know, during COVID, you know, and just yes. see those results and how difficult that can be. So I found it very, very, very inspiring. So that's great. All right, rapid fire, real quick. Favorite fundraising resource that people should uh, go to? That's a difficult one. I should say, obviously, you know, uh, next after. Uh, and I mean, and I mean, and I mean, I mean, it's it's a treasure trove we adopted in UNICEF, as you know, because it's a, it's an it's a it's a really one of the few uh, comparative things that's a great stuff. I, I would just say donor voice, of course, is one of my favorite. And lots of friends, but also it's serious, insightful, controversial stuff. Um, but I would just say that uh, the uh, a non-profit quarterly and even protocol of philanthropy, they have some good stuff that I, I, I care for. And, and Bloomberg, of course, I see Bloomberg. Boomerang. <laughs> Bloomberg, too. <laughs> Boomerang, too. Because great. also they have a great insight for that. Uh, best book you've read recently? Oh, um the the last Malcolm Gladwell, the Bomber Mafia. Mm. Um, as usual, Gladwell is an amazing storyteller. Has this incredible story of uh, I don't know if you know the story of this. Yeah, Dutch it, I, I listened yeah. to all the revisionist history, so I haven't read the book, but it's a four part series on uh, the Bomber so, Mafia. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Story. Somebody has the right idea, smart idea to good, the worst, less, you know, 
but then it's come to the execution, the leadership. And so and that's talks a lot to our sector, right? You can, you can get people like you and me, <laughs> they, they know how to fix things. No, but it's true. But then it comes to the execution. It comes to the leadership. It comes to a number of elements that really thinks the difference mm. they can make. You know, so, my favorite book. stories that he told was obviously the, the I forget the name of the, the Air Force general now, but he was the one saying like, oh, like we're missing the target with all these bombs because we're trying to do these strafing runs where we turn into our path with seven seconds before we need to drop. What if we just flew straight for like 10 minutes and everyone's like, what? What are you talking <laughs> exactly, about? Exactly. Like, that's crazy. Like, it's so logical. And yeah, it seems risky. And not exactly. only that, though, no one's thought about it. But then he said, you know what? I'll be I'll go do it first. So he was in the first plane that did the first run that flew straight for 10 minutes straight in to take on the heat. And it worked and it totally revolutionized how they did bombing runs and changed really like World War II. But it took yeah. a combination of one, like, why on earth are we doing it this way? <laughs> Two, the yes. answer was dead simple. And then three, the leadership to step out and say, I'm going to lead the very first plane and take on the risk. So that That's whole right. story is amazing. That's cool. I didn't it know it was actually amazing. turned into yes, a book. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. Uh, cause or organization you admire or support and you cannot say UNICEF? No, of course. And I, like you, I, I think we donate all the time as part of our, mm -hmm. you know, professional thing. But no, I have to say that I'm, I'm a big fan of um, Kiva, um, which is a very, very cool, think long time mechanism. I think I'm a fan of Donor Choose, which mm. is another amazing, engaging, beautiful. So getting these kids writing to you, the difference you make. And um, I have to say that... Um, one organization I'm a big fan of is called Sleeping Giants. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you know it. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, because of the power of people in, through the digital. So this is really, it's an organization with basically no budget, no headquarters, no stuff. It's just one <laughs> person. It is one person and followers, community, which just say, you know what? They cannot advertise on a rash, racist or misogynist program. So you take your, your media and tell to the CEO that this, you, as a customer, you just unsubscribe. Mm. And they, they publish. So, yeah, they, 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 the brand, listen, of course, today, the brand, but think about it. It is a millions of organization, absolutely based on nothing, mm. totally no charity model. Mm. That has such a power to change. Um, and so I'm a big fan of them. And I, in the book, there is actually one chapter on them and the way they work and operate. Mm. So um, I'm a big fan of them. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into your book uh, as well, more so now after we've chatted. So uh, before I let you go, last thing, um, where can people find out more about you, your books and your work? Um, me and my book, uh, of course, the, the LinkedIn, uh, the, the Facebook, the Twitter, um, the typical, so the handles, uh, I am about, uh, although it's today quite old fashioned, also finishing, um, a website that we'll call emotion raising where I can put all these things and all the, cool. uh, the soon be out, but you know, normally I just say LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, they will find me there and I'm happy to interact to continue the discussion and whatever. I think this is more than a book. It's just really a crusade to change <laughs> the way we are and the way yeah. we are. And I really believe in that. Well, thanks for helping lead the, lead the crusade, Francesco. And thanks for taking time with us today. Thank you so much, Freddie, for having me.
Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at generosityfreakshow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S, or wherever you get your pods. Now, the Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kuchuriak. So thank you so much again for listening. And no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day.